It's a pleasure to be here this morning. Um, some of you know who I am, some of you might not, but uh, my name's Matt, um, or Chief, or, you know, call me whatever you want, just don't call me late to dinner. Um, but before we jump in, many of you might be wondering why, why there's a blank sheet of paper in your bulletin this morning. Well, it, it's a, oh, the massive one. Um, it, it, it's a privilege, it, it's a, not a privilege, it's a time for you to get creative with yourself. Bring out the inner child. You know, may, maybe that's because I've got three young kids at home. May, maybe it's because on a Sunday I'm, I'm usually up in the children's wing. Um, but it's time for you to get in tune with your childlike being and, and make a masterpiece. A masterpiece that you want to be proud of. Something that you're going to take home and hang on your fridge. So, something that will be a reminder from the message today. Something about the goodness of creation. Today we're, we're going to start looking at the, the story behind the story in the sermon series. Um, but I, Rachel... Her, her bubbly personality. I'm going to have her come up and, and distribute some crayons that we have here so that you can make this masterpiece as we hear the message. You will take the color I give you. You're not allowed to. <laughs> take, take many. Take several. <clears throat> but but start, look, start thinking about the question, you know, what did God mean when he said... When he said, it is good. Creation is good. So let's begin. Perhaps the clearest thing in Genesis 1 is this idea, this affirmation of the goodness of creation. We find the key refrain that runs through this passage of scripture when, when God saw that it was, when God saw what he had made and he said it is good. You know, he says it six times after day one. In verse 4, day 3 in verses 10 through 12, day 4 in verse 18, day 5 in verse 21, and then day 6 in 25. But then he also adds a word in verse 31 where he says it is very good. Clearly one of the themes of Genesis 1 is this idea of goodness of creation. Creation is good. And yet, this might be one of the hardest things to wrap our minds around. Well, when we begin to think about creation and the things that happen, you know, maybe the natural disasters like hurricanes or tornadoes or earthquakes that can be so devastating. But it's also hard to affirm the goodness of creation when you take a look at the normal workings of nature outside. You know, if you take a moment, what, what do you see when you look outside? Maybe today you'll, you'll take a walk or a drive or maybe go out to lunch. Or maybe even later on we'll go to the ladies' tea that, that they're having downstairs. You know, take a walk outside. Take some time and smell the roses, if you will. Look at what's going on around you. The world is at war. Everything is eating everything. Everything is consuming life to stay alive. The grass is just trying to be green. But then you have the bugs that are constantly eating it. And then the bugs that are trying to be bugs are getting eaten by bigger bugs. And then the bugs are being eaten by the birds. And the birds are getting attacked by your, your neighborhood cat or, or my cat, Pluto. Always leaving presents for us on the back stoop. You know, maybe you've seen those pictures and videos of the animals running wild in the African safari and being chased by the lions. 
You know, maybe it's the stories of, of the wasp who lays its eggs in caterpillars. And when the eggs hatch, the larvae begin to devour that caterpillar just to stay alive. You know, that some people have referred to this not as a problem of evil, but a problem of goodness. The question for those of us living today is not how to explain the presence of evil in the world, but where do we find goodness in the world? What does it mean to say that, good, that creation is good? Now, I realize that not every Christian struggles with this issue or has this problem. You know, some of us, many of us throughout history have all wrapped our minds around this idea of Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. And this is why this all happens. And that has been the classic approach to the question going way back to Augustine. And it may well be the right approach. It certainly solves this particular problem. But we need to make sense of the Bible's teaching about the goodness of creation. So as you're drawing your pictures, as you're drawing your masterpieces, let let me offer five ways of thinking about the goodness of creation. What does it mean when it says, and God saw that it was good? What does it mean? Well, when we say creation and good, we mean That it is reflective of God. It is conducive to life. It is filled with purpose. It is enriched by beauty. And it is made clear in Christ. First, creation is good in that creation is reflective of God. That is, creation reflects and reveals God. His nature, his character, his goodness. We need to remember that everything that happens in Genesis 1, verse 2 and following depends upon the God who creates in verse 1. We focused on the days, but the focus is on God who speaks, who reveals, who creates. Creation ultimately reveals God. We want to say that creation is good because God is good. Even though creation is not God... It is still good. Just like God is good. Because God in his goodness made, his, made this creation. God so gifted creation that it reflects not only God's nature. But also his character. Creation reveals the nature of God. His power. His wisdom. His intelligence. And I think this is the point that Paul is making in Romans chapter 1 verse 20 about creation. When he says God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. But creation also, even more importantly, reflects the goodness of God. His kindness, his generosity, his graciousness, and his love. You see, creation is a gift, not a given. We see God's power and genius as an architect and maker of creation. But we also see God's care and goodness for his creation. You see, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 26, he dresses the lilies of the field and he feeds the birds of the air. Or in Matthew 5, 45, when he says he causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. All of the interconnected operations of this world around us speak to the power of God, yes, but they also speak to the goodness of God. We see his wisdom, yes, but we also see his kindness, his goodness. 
Creation is good because it reflects and reveals the goodness of God. Secondly, creation is good in that creation creation is good in that creation is conducive to life. If we didn't have creation, there would be no life. Perhaps the most obvious thing about the opening chapter of Genesis is its structure in terms of six days. But if you look closely, you notice the days aren't just in a linear sequence, like day one, two, three, and so forth and so on. You see, they're particularly grouped into two sets. The first three days of creation, God creates the habitats and environments. Then on the next three days of creation, he fills those habitats and environments. Day one, he creates the day and the night. And then day four, he fills it with the heavenly lights. Day two, he creates the sky. And day five, he fills it with the birds. And last but not least, on day three, he creates the land and the sea with vegetation. And then naturally, on day six, he fills the land and the sea and the land creatures including human beings, who live on that land and feed on that vegetation. It's habitation, verses 1 through 3, I mean, days 1 through 3, and then inhabitants, day 4 through 6. And I think it all comes to summarized in Genesis chapter 2 at the beginning in verse It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, the habitation of the days, in their vast array, the inhabitants of days 4 through 6. We could also think of this in terms of forming and filling. The forming is good, the filling is good, and the whole thing with man included is very good. Now the point of all this is that creation is good. God made it conducive to life for the fish, for the animals, for the plants, for you, for me. Or to put it this way, this creation we find ourselves isn't Mercury or Mars or Venus. It's not as hot as Mercury with no oxygen, no water, no air. It's not Mars where the temperature and atmosphere is not conducive for life. You see, Earth was uniquely created and conducive for life. That's one of the main things we can say in light of Genesis chapter 1. That creation is good in creation and that creation is conducive for life. Next, it's filled with purpose. Creation is good. That creation is filled with purpose. Everything in creation is oriented around a purpose. Even if it's not always obvious to us or useful or beneficial, there is functional integrity to creation. Things, generally speaking, work well and are well-ordered. You know, take, take the band, for example. That, that's up here on a Sunday morning. You know, everything's in their proper place. Everything has its purpose. You know, you, you don't take a guitar and go sailing across the seven seas. Um, you know, some people might, but it's not what it's intended for. Or put it this way, that there's not much pointless stuff or wasted time in creation. Everything is working towards a goal, towards an end, towards a purpose. You don't find a pack of wolves just loitering in the parking lot. Yeah, you don't come across a flock of geese just doing nothing. Yet you don't see an army of ants not doing anything. They're working hard. They're doing something. They're preparing for what's ahead. Now the only exception that, that I could think of is maybe 
like my, my pet Pluto, our cat, who, who pretty much sleeps all day. It seems like it's always on vacation, laying in a patch of sunlight. But I, but I think this is because they sleep during the, wet, during the day so that they can work at night while we're asleep. You see, the Hebrew word which we translate good in Genesis chapter 1 has a wide range of meaning. But it, is, but it basically refers to being fit for a purpose. Something is good for some purpose. That is what Genesis 1 is primarily about. God ordering the world and forming it for its purpose. For life. For humanity. I also think in, in uh, the first chapter of Genesis, we come to this theme of separation. Yet you have the separation of day and night. You have the separation of the land and the sea. Yet you have the separation of the different days. And it's not this idea of pulling things apart. But rather putting things in its proper place. So that they are well ordered. You know it's like the old adage. Everything has a place. And everything is in its place. When God sees that his creation is highly ordered. For its purpose he intended. He says that it is good. Now the, perhaps the best way of looking at this word good. And finding out what it actually means is to look at something that's not so good. And one of the examples is found in Genesis chapter 2 verse 18. Where the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. What does that mean? It's not good for man to be alone. You know, do we think that, oh there must have been something wrong with Adam. He can't do it. He couldn't exist without Eve. Or was there something immoral about it? You know, what was there something just... Well, we can't see what's wrong with Adam. No, rather, rather it is being communicated that there is something lacking. Something not rightly ordered. Something not put together the way it should be. Adam couldn't do it alone. Adam needed a partner. And God saw that. God saw that he needed to make it right. He, he needed to put it in its proper place. Make this... Um, you know, put it rightly ordered. Everything had its purpose. This is why the opening, chap- the opening chapter of Genesis reaches the high point it does in verse 31. Where it says, God saw all that he made. Everything had its place. Everything was rightly ordered. Everything had its function. And it was very good. God saw that everything he had made and said that it was very good. Creation is good because creation is filled with purpose. Fourthly, creation is good because creation is enriched by beauty. You realize the world didn't need to be as beautiful as it is, right? You know, God could have made everything black and white. He could have made, you know, the the flowers on the trees, the flowers, you know, some ugly color. Um... You know, burnt sienna or, you know, something like that. You know, everything that God created is beautiful. The creation around us is enriched with this beauty. There is a surplus of beauty in the world around us. The heavens are indeed telling of the glory of God. You see, God is not just left-brained like an engineer or mathematician. God is also right-brained like an artist, a poet, a musician. We see this in the text of Genesis. Notice how 
after God creates, he takes a look at what he has created and is delighted with it. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was very good at the end. God at heart is an artist who simply enjoys making things and creating. He loves creation. Just think about it. He created whole galaxies and billions of stars that probably many of us are never going to see. He's created me. He's created you. God loves to create. God loves and delights in the beauty of creation. He enjoys creation and its beauty. Creation is good in that creation is enriched with beauty. To be seen and enjoyed by beings like me and you. And finally, it is made clear in Christ. You know, creation is good in that creation is made clear in Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who makes sense of all of this creation. You might ask, why do I say that? And it's because the Bible says that Jesus Christ is the one whom, through whom, and for all things exist. You know, if, if you have your Bible with me, turn to chap, John chapter 1. Starting with verse 1. John chapter 1 verse 1 begins, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. And if you want to flip over to Colossians chapter 1. Starting with verse 15. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. You might be asking, what does that all mean? Well, I think it means that we cannot rightly understand creation apart from Christ. It's the key to understanding the world rightly. His life, his death, his resurrection make sense of creation. The goodness of creation. You see, the sun embraces and endorses the fundamental goodness of creation. We cannot believe in the sun that God became human and say that creation is anything less than good. You agree? In his death, he reminds us that there is something deeply broken with creation. The cross of Christ and the death of his son, of God's son, reminds us that creation is fundamentally good. But it is also deeply broken and damaged by sin. As Paul says, the creation has itself been subject to brutality. And that it now groans in eager expectations for the revealing of the son of God. Yet in Christ's resurrection, he reminds us that there is goodness to creation we have not yet experienced. 
To say we believe in the goodness of creation is to express what we see with our eyes. It's purpose and order and beauty. But it also to speak with a voice of faith. To express hope in what we cannot see with our eyes. But what we can only embrace with our faith. As scripture says... Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we cannot see. Hebrews 11 chapter, I mean chapter 11 verse 1. One of the things hoped for and one of the things not yet seen is what the Bible calls the new creation. A second creation that will be a lot like this creation, only entirely renewed and perfected. Where there will be no more sickness, no more dying, no more death. Where the lion will lie down with the lamb. So as we close this morning, how's your pictures coming? All done? You proud of them? Ready to hang them on the fridge? How many of you remember the the deadly tsunami of 2004? You know, they, they say that tsunami released... In terms of energy and power, something like 23,000 Hiroshima atomic bombs. It was devastating. And at the end of the day, more than 150,000 people were either killed or went missing. You see, it was a massive devastation and left the world reeling. And it left many of us asking serious questions about God. And yes, the goodness of creation. How can creation be good if something happened like this? A theologian named David Bentley Hart wrote a powerful reflection in the New York Times where he tried to explain how Christians might respond to an epic tragedy like this natural disaster that threatens our belief in the goodness of creation. And indeed the goodness of God. It was such a powerful article that he turned it into a book called The Doors of the Sea. In it he talks about how Christian affirms the goodness of creation. Not because they wear rose colored glasses and can simply call bad things good. Or turn lemonade, I mean uh, turn lemons into lemonade. But they do so in his words as a moral and spiritual labor, as an act of faith, a work of love, a hope in the goodness of God. You see, to understand this whole idea of the creation being good and the goodness of creation is Christ. Christ is the key. Christ is the one who ultimately clarifies what it means to say creation is good. It's a truth we affirm, even when it doesn't make sense. Without Christ, it doesn't make sense. It's a belief we hold, even when there is seemingly strong evidence to the contrary. It's a hope that we hold on to, even when nature itself looks cruel and harsh and indifferent. When the bugs are eating the bugs, the animals are eating the animals... The larva is killing the caterpillar. The world is cruel if we look at it that way. But if we have Christ in our lives, it makes sense. You see, the Christian eye should see a deeper truth in the world than mere nature. 
And it is a truth that gives rise not to optimism, but to joy. You know, as we come to our time of invitation, I hope you take time to reflect on, uh, on the picture that you drew. The, the picture that, that you're going to hang up on the fridge as a constant reminder of the goodness of creation. And how do we begin to answer the question, what does God mean when he says, it is good? And I hope that, you know, maybe you've added a little bit of Christ to your picture. Maybe there's a cross. Maybe there's, you know, the manger scene. Maybe there's, you know, the triumphal entry, the miracles that Christ did. You know, because without Christ, creation doesn't make sense. Without Christ, why did God do it? You know, in John it said that, you know, Christ was with God. At the very beginning. You know, God saw that there was this broken world that needed a savior. And Christ was that savior. Christ was, became human, experienced and endured the sins of this world. Christ knows what we go through. And without him in our lives, who are we? What are we? How do we survive without him? How do we make sense of the world around us? The natural disasters. The nature. Without him in our lives, we are nothing. So if you have a commitment, a question, a concern, you know, we'll be up here, you know, during our time of invitation. If the band wants to come up. You know, meditate as we sing our song this morning on the reflectiveness of God, on the conducive of life that creation brings about. You know, think about the purpose that you have in life. Think about the beauty that's outside. God didn't have to do it, but he did for us. Christ didn't have to come and die on that cross. But he did. Because we live in a broken world. Because we mess up. Because we fall short of what God intended creation to be. This goodness of life. There was a need. And God's calling. God's knocking. God's saying, hey, I'm here. I've got open arms. Let let Christ in your life so that you can understand this world around you.